first thing you'll see is the surgeon cower in the corner. So you folks do cancel some of our cases. What the hell do anesthesiologists do while I'm out? This is the pressing question I have. Hey, Howard. Good to be back. We have a guest this week. We have a really special guest. We have a doc that I've known for a long time now. My name is John Bauman. I'm an anesthesiologist in Westchester, New York. Having a surgeon and an anesthesiologist on the same podcast discussion can seem a little bit like that scene in Mad Max Thunderdome where the two men enter, (laughs) one man leaves kind of thing. Almost all non-trivial forms of surgery, maybe with the exception of hangnail removal, and probably not even that one anymore, are done with some form of anesthesia, right? That's right. I think most procedures will have some form of anesthesia involved, be it local, topical, regional. There there are various forms that you can employ to keep a patient comfortable during, during procedures. I think that's fair to say, even in the the period of time that I've been practicing, which is approaching about 20 years, we've seen the increase in our anesthetizing locations. And for cases that when I first started, we didn't really give anesthesia for. One One of the biggest areas where we've seen that is with GI physicians, endoscopies, colonoscopies, and upper endoscopies. When I first started, an anesthesiologist would be involved once in a while, but now, especially in, in this area, we are involved in almost every GI procedure, colonoscopy or upper endoscopy, and it adds a level of, of not only comfort to the patient, but I think a level of safety and it increases the efficiency. Right. So anesthesia has become safer over the last few decades, right? Uh, I mean, when I was a resident and coming up in my training, general anesthesia was the chosen mode for most procedures. Uh, Yet now, you seem to have many different offerings in your toolkit. Uh, There definitely are. If you look back, the real reason that anesthesia has become so much safer over the years is because the training of anesthesiologists has become um, much more rigorous. So the people who are practicing are are well-trained and able to utilize the new technology to make sure that patients are safe in all different settings. It used to just be, if you, if you were going to get anesthesia, it was in a hospital. We, we deliver anesthesia in, in offices and in GI suites and ambulatory surgery centers and all safely. One of my favorite books, and Howard knows this too well because I babble about it all the time, <laughs> is uh, one called The Butchering Art. It's by a medical historian named Lindsay Fitzharris. And it's great about the early days of surgery, in particular about how we had no anesthesia, so speed <laughs> was at a premium. Um, otherwise, people tended to have this bad habit of dying of shock in the middle of an amputation that if you could get it done in 30 seconds versus 60 versus two minutes, you were a better you were a better surgeon because that's the way you had to compensate for there being uh, no anesthesia. And at the same time, 
the early anesthesiologist were generally just some dude who happened to be nearby. It could just be, hey, passing citizen. And you did whatever it was the surgeon asked you to do, whether it was holding the person still, which isn't really great as anesthesia, or you administered whiskey. Right. They basically would pour ether on a rag and, and the surgeon would say, hold this over the patient's face. Out of the early, what we would have called anesthetic agents, which ones of those have survived? I was thinking about maybe uh, nitrous oxide, maybe as an example of an early one that we still use. Are there, are there others? Yeah, nitrous is a very good example. No, mo- most of the others um, we don't uh, use anymore. I, when I was trained, we still used halothane. A lot of the original agents have been replaced by newer medications that, that often have a, a better safety profile and a much better um, side effect profile. So let's go to the thing we've been dodging, or at least maybe I've been dodging, which is what is what is anesthesia anyway? In, in in the case of general, am I actually asleep? We say we're putting people to sleep, but we're not really putting people to sleep. People use these words really loosely, and I think they're not so well defined. So anesthesia, if you break the word down into its root, it's from a Greek root, and a or or an is without and anesthesia is uh, sensation or pain. So it's basically without without sensation is the way to think about anesthetics or anesthesia, what anesthesia is. And anesthesia is a very broad term because you can, you can achieve a lack of sensation or pain through many different means. You can have a local anesthetic, you can, you can have a general anesthetic, you can have a neuraxial anesthetic. So there are all these different types of, or, or ways to provide anesthesia. I'm trying to keep it very simple, is to induce a a state of unconsciousness so that you don't respond to a surgical stimulus. And a lot of people think if you're going to go under a general anesthetic, you have to be put on a ventilator and you need to inhale gas and you need a breathing tube. But in actuality, you don't. It's not sleep per se, right? If we do an EEG, you're not clinically asleep. Where are you? Where's your brain? (laughs) <laughs> um so right we don't we don't actually know it's it's very funny especially with the inhaled agents we don't know how those drugs actually work there are theories behind them and it, it has to do with the lipid membranes and so we don't we don't actually know where you are but you're right it's not sleep it's not restorative the, these drugs you don't you don't wake up from a general anesthetic or a propofol infusion and your body has kind of undergone the restorative functions <laughs> of sleep. So we say you're asleep, but if you were asleep and I took a you know scalpel and, and cut your knee to do a, a total joint, you would wake up from that from that sleep. So this is much different. Now it's very unusual to have a patient under pure general anesthesia. Uh, what's brought about uh, this change in safety? Yeah, so so we don't have, there's not one drug that will give us all of the properties that we need for a, for a general anesthetic. So you want, before somebody goes into the operating room, you want them to be relaxed. You don't want them to remember the experience. So to achieve that, we typically use a class of drugs called um, benzodiazepines, which uh, the most common one we use is 
a drug called midazolam or the, the trade name is Versed. And the, the properties that they, it relaxes you and causes amnesia. So those are two good properties. We also, during surgery, we don't want you to have pain. So some of our, there, and there are a lot of, you, you, I guess you're kind of getting the sense that this is more of a, a cocktail of medications that we give to get all the, all the properties you want of a general anesthetic. So for pain, we often use narcotics. Yeah. You want to induce the general anesthetic. And nowadays, the, the typical, and, and there are many induction agents, but the one we use probably 90% of the time is a medication called propofol. Propofol is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest breakthroughs in anesthesia in the last, it was developed in 1989. That medication is very nice. It's, it's a very quick onset. It induces a general anesthetic. So, and that'll, that'll get us into the next phase of a general anesthetic, which is muscle relaxation. So we have medication that will do that. The, the problem with that medication is you can't give that alone because it does nothing to, to affect your mental capacity. If I were to give a drug, let's say called rocuronium, which is a, a common paralytic or muscle relaxant that we use, but not give you any other medication, you would be wide awake. You'd be completely aware of everything that was going on <laughs> right. around you. But you couldn't. No, that's bad. <laughs> right. So, so, and typically to maintain the general anesthetic so that during two, four hour operation, we'll use one of the inhaled agents. And that's, that's delivered through the breathing tube into your lungs. And that will maintain anesthesia for, for basically as long as you keep that medication on. Mm -hmm. And then when you want the general anesthetic to turn off, you let the patient breathe typically 100% oxygen and they blow off that inhale. This is the end of the free public preview of the Simpla Vita podcast. For the full podcast, including a transcript and show notes, you can upgrade at simplavita.com. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. We will not respond to requests for medical advice.